from uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we do come before you, Lord. We open your word to hear from you, Lord, to hear from your, your spirit. Lord, speak through me. Lord, speak in spite of me. Lord, open our, our eyes, our, our hearts, our ears to hear from your message, to hear from your word, your revelation to us. Lord, point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I, th- I think Kyle... Um, he said that, that, you know, he had this opportunity which he took, which, which was awesome. Uh, I'm not Kyle. I'm Scott, by the way. I'm the student family pastor here. But, but Kyle, the lead teaching pastor, he, he texted me last week. and He's like, hey, uh, I had this opportunity, just really good opportunity he wanted to take just to get away, just to kind of refocus himself. I'm like, that's awesome. Take it. He's like, hey, can you preach for me? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, so we're where we are in Galatians 5. And I think he did this on purpose because then I went to the text and I was like, Kyle, circumcision's mentioned like five times in here. I'm not explaining that. So we're not going to explain that. Um, ask your parents. But um, we're going to cover that. But it was, it was covered, Mason, but, I, but we are going to stay in Galatians this morning. So we are nearing the end of our series in Galatians. It's been great. Uh, like I said, we're in chapter 5 this morning. Then Kyle will be back next week. We'll work through verses 15. Uh, and then we'll take a short break uh, after that, uh, just after Thanksgiving for an Advent series as we approach Christmas. Uh, and then we'll come back to Galatians and we'll finish it up in the new year. Uh, but in chapter 5, Paul starts to kind of summarize and conclude that this letter that he wrote to the churches in Galatia. And he summarizes the central message, and then he kind of encourages them with the fruit of the Spirit, which is coming up at the end of chapter 5. And in the latter portion of that chapter um, is there, and then in chapter 6 is this final challenge and a conclusion to the letter as a whole. But here in chapter 5, actually in verse 2, Paul is putting a strong final statement or a final warning about their works-based deviation from the gospel, because that's what they were guilty of. They're trying to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're trying to make it works-based. And I, and I don't know if, if, it's, if you've ever been in a really good discussion. Some of you may like discussions. I'm not talking about an argument. I'm not talking about yelling or, or angry. I'm not talking about that. But just a really good discussion. I like really good discussions. You know, they could be about sports or, or movies or music or anything like that. I just like, I really like uh, even college football, something I really like talking about. I'm an FSU, FSU fan. That's, that's fine. You can have pity for me a little bit this, this year. Hey, we beat Miami yesterday. That was a good one, right? I think we're the best team in Florida, but we won't get into that. But I like that. And so I actually used to have two roommates who were Clemson graduates. 
And you never know much about Clemson, FSU. It's kind of an interconference rivalry we've got going on. But we had a lot of uh, lively discussions about, about our teams and about college football, really, in general. But one of those roommates, one of those roommates I had, he would always start his last great point. You know that last great point? He would say, look. And then he would make his statement. And I'm sure we've all done that in our discussions of like, you know, look. I know basketball is here. Uh, big here in North Carolina, and there's always this discussion of, of Duke or UNC. And to that, I would just say, look, Kentucky all day. Not this week, no. Yeah, I, saw, I, I did check the score, Bob. I was like, ugh, ugh, we didn't win. But uh, my dad was a Kentucky fan. It's just natural. But look, right? Look means something good, something final is coming in a discussion. And if you see that in verse 2, Paul says, Look, look, I, Paul, and some translations even say, behold, of like, capture this. In other words, what he was saying is like, with this statement, I'm finished. My, my discussion is complete. My point has been made. Paul makes a strong declaration in this passage that, that caps off all of the other previous four chapters of this letter. But real fast, let, let's go back to verse 1. Because verse 1 kind of stands out in this chapter. But you need to remember that, that, that chapters and verses were added to Scripture much later than we think. In fact, the, the chapter and verses that we commonly see in most translations actually were added in the year 1555. And so if you take in consideration that of how, how they're added later, sometimes those breaks can be kind of abrupt and they can be kind of unusual. And Galatians 5.1 is an example of that. It kind of sticks out in this chapter. But as a letter as a whole, verse 1 flows a lot better with chapter 4. So, so the end of 4, verse 31, and then 5.1 say this. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And then verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand, there, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So he's saying there, Christ has set us free. Paul's almost begging for believers to understand their freedom in Christ. Christ is liberating. And, and the world, the enemy wants us to think the opposite of that. They want you to believe otherwise. They see our religion, our beliefs as constricting or as binding. And then these are probably the same people that think that the Bible is this massive rule book of do's and don'ts. But it's not that at all. That's not how we look at scripture. It's not a list of do's and don't. But rather, this is a guide on how to get out of the prison that sin has trapped us in. But people dislike the message of scripture which is the gospel, and they don't like it because first, to be set free from the prison, you have to understand that you're in prison. And so they don't like that message. They don't want to admit that they're trapped in sin, that you're trapped in sin, that you're born into depravity. So many people can, cannot get beyond that understanding of you're in that prison. They view sin they view their wicked lives as being free, when really it's the complete opposite. Paul compares the entrapment of sin as a yoke of slavery. 
this heavy weight that keeps us bound to the imprisonment of sin. But church, but church, understand there's freedom in Christ. There is freedom in Christ. And once we see the prison, and once we are freed by Christ, why would we ever return? Why would we ever go back? And that's, that's Paul's emphasis in verse one. He's like, you having understood the freedom in Christ, why return to the imprisonment of sin? The imprisonment of the law. The imprisonment of that works-based system. No, no, we don't, we don't wanna turn back to that. We wanna live free. You're liberated. Taste freedom, enjoy freedom, share the news of your freedom. This, this freedom is salvation in Christ. And so that's verse one. And so now he's like, okay, how do I live free? Now that you have this freedom, now that I've shown you this freedom, how do we live free? And chapters five and six have some great applications of living free. So when you move on into verses two through six, there is an encouraging challenge on living free. And and bear with me, right? They can be summarized pretty much in this. They can be summarized with faith, hope, love. Listen, I understand you're thinking, oh, that's cliche. I I understand like these words have been, you know, super overused in, in Christian culture and culture in general. And I know you probably think of maybe the Alan Jackson song, if you're a country music fan, that's where my mind went, uh, or maybe some Etsy projects, or maybe uh, entire aisles of Hobby Lobby uh, devoted to wooden signs that say faith, hope, and love. And listen, there's nothing wrong with these signs that they have an origin in scripture. But let's add some substance to those. Let's kind of redeem what that really means back from culture. It's not just a sign on the wall. No, these have solid substance to them. So this is Paul's challenge to truly living free. Faith. Faith in what exactly? Faith in what? Faith in Jesus? Yeah, of course. But much, much more than just faith in Jesus. We have to understand, in Scripture it says, hey, even the demons believe in shudder. So it's more than just a faith in Jesus. The Galatians had a faith in Jesus. They all knew who Jesus was. They knew what he did. But they were still led astray by the teaching of false, false prophets that wanted to add to that gospel. So Paul's emphasis on faith here is, number one, is faith in the sufficiency of Christ's grace faith in the sufficiency of Christ's grace. It says this in verses two through four of Galatians five. Look, I, Paul, solidifying, he's like, I, Paul, the apostle, he, he, in the beginning of this letter, he was like, this is who I am. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And so we're gonna start there in verse three. It says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. He was saying, you are bounding yourselves to this work-based salvation. Because if you are surrendering, 
If you are surrendering to the circumcision, then you must surrender to all of the law. And all of the law is impossible for man to follow. Only Christ fulfilled that. The law is impossible for man to follow. We couldn't even follow 10, let alone almost close to 700 that they would have to follow to fulfill this. And if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was talking realistically, we can't even follow those that we think are super easy. Because when you look at the Ten Commandments, you see, uh, you shall not murder. You're like, oh, well, that's pretty easy. Uh, check. And then the Sermon on the Mount, Christ says, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you've committed murder. Come on. Right? In other words, you're going, you can't do this. There's no way. You, you can't keep any of them. Not even just one. So why? 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 Why have the law? Well, the law it was created to expose our need for a savior. It says this in Romans 7, 8 through 10. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. This is the end of chapter, uh, sorry, of verse 8. It says, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. Verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. It exposed our sin. It highlighted our sin. So yet Paul's again saying, foolish Galatians, don't bound yourselves to the law that you cannot keep. Because if you do accept that circumcision and bound yourself to the law, verse 2, Christ will be of no advantage to you. No advantage to works or Christ. Why? Why choose works? Why choose to rely on ourselves? You can't save yourself. And so verse four, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And just to clarify here, that this is not a verse about losing your salvation. Some have, have used it and twisted it that way. That's not at all what Paul is saying, right? Those who have been justified by Christ, you are safe in his hands. This is about dismissing grace for the hopelessness of the law falling away from grace. God gave us the law. We understand that. The law was perfect. But the law was always designed to be temporary. The law revealed our sin, our need for a Savior. And so, thus, the Savior comes. Christ comes. He pours his blood out on the cross. He's, he's, he's an eternal atoning sacrifice for us. He covers us in grace grace which the law never showed us. And so, so here is this perfect, this free gift of salvation. And instead of embracing the work of Christ, what he has done, what do they do? They turn back. They turn back to this impossible law, which cannot justify them. So th this is why Paul is using such strong language in that. He's saying, you're severed, you're separated, you're cut loose, you're fallen away. Basically saying, you idiots, what, what are you doing? 
Why? You, you have this grace. Why turn away? And I think many, and even for many for, for us today, is we, we are so full of pride. We are so full of pride that we want to completely rely on ourselves rather than the grace of Christ. Where I can do it. I'm strong. I can do this. That, that's a prideful thing to have in our lives. No, it's the grace of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 3 through 4 say this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Pretty much just saying, not, not us, Christ. God has done what the law could not do. He sent his son, Christ. Christ has made us righteous. His grace is sufficient. You, me, we who are condemned by the flesh, by sin, by wickedness, by depravity, you couldn't get it done. You couldn't get it done. But 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. It's from God. We have faith in the sufficiency of Christ's grace, which empowers us to live free. So that's the faith that we have to live free. Second is the hope. Hope. Basically, we we know we are weak. We know we are weak. We know we are sinners. And, And yes, Christ's grace is sufficient. We understand that. But yet, yet we are sinners. We keep falling into temptation. At times, we probably feel very wretched. You just feel gross. You're just a sinner. But, but we have hope. We have hope. And number two, we have hope in the spirit of righteousness. We have faith and we have hope, hope in the spirit of righteousness. And it says this in verse five of Galatians five, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now real quick, there's two understandings of righteousness in the lives of believers. The first is is imputed righteousness. We are imputed or credited righteousness through justification, salvation, in Jesus. So that is nothing of our own. That's Christ's work. He imputed that righteousness based on his work, on his sacrifice. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake, he made him to be sin, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So through Christ, we are made righteous before God. We were born into sin, So we were imputed sin from Adam. That's original sin. So we are born into sin. So we are sinners. We could not save ourselves. But Christ, born of a virgin, was born out of sin. 
And so he knew no sin, but he became sin for us to give us righteousness. So just as we were imputed sin, that's why Christ is known as the second Adam. He imputed righteousness to us. So that's imputed righteousness. And there's a second understanding of righteousness, which is what this is referring to. The understanding of righteousness is the work of Christ that's ongoing in our sanctification. We're becoming more Christ-like in our faith. This is the external expression of the inward righteousness. So we're imputed righteousness. We're justified, we are saved, and so now it's an external expression of that. This understanding of righteousness is the same thing that's mentioned in Ephesians and the armor of God. That breastplate of righteousness, that's what he's talking about, living righteously through Christ. This this is how we grow in our faith. This is becoming Christ-like. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us as believers, is the one driving us to this righteousness. And this, this is where we have hope. We have hope in the Holy Spirit that's in us. It gives us hope that one day we will, we will leave these rotten flesh bags. That's what I call these bodies that we have to occupy for the moment. These bodies that break, these bodies that age, these are just rotten flesh bags. Don't worry, we don't have to take this with us. I'm not saying abuse it. I'm not saying that, but don't worry. This isn't coming with me. This is, this is staying here. I'm not gonna sure what that's gonna look like on the end times at the rapture. It's, you know, but this isn't coming with us. But we are leaving that, right? So we, we don't have to worry about these, these rotten flesh bags. We, we are glorified before Christ on death. So what do I do? I, I, don't, I don't sulk. I don't beat myself down. Yes, I make war against sin. Yes, I make war against temptation. But I, I don't self-pity. I don't loathe in that. What do I do? I rejoice. I rejoice. Why? Because I have a hope. I have a hope of righteousness. I rejoice in Christ. This is the joy. This is the pure, overflowing joy that comes with the gospel that's working in our lives. It's because we have hope. We know this world is not our final resting place. We know this is a fallen world. We know there's terrible things in this world. The pain here is temporary. The loss here is temporary. Will you experience suffering? Yes, yes, you will. There's many verses in scripture that clarify that. You are persecuted. You are hated because you are not of this world. But it's only temporary. And we rejoice. Why? Because we have hope. We have hope in the righteousness. It says this in Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also, or we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Verse four, and endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope, 
hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our sufferings produce hope because God's love is in us. Paul was making this declaration because, listen, you know why? There is no hope in a works-based salvation. Think about it. How is there hope in a works-based salvation? Me as a sinner, if, if I'm constantly trying to do good, if I'm constantly trying to earn this salvation, if I'm constantly trying to earn something, always wondering if it's enough, I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more. What is that hope? Because if I'm constantly trying to do more just upon death to go, it wasn't even close. So what hope is there in this works base? And that's what he's trying to get these Galatians to understand. It's hopeless. You have to follow the whole law and beyond that. You can't do it. There's no hope in that. You work, you work, you work, you work, you work. And what upon death? What if it wasn't enough? You can't go back. There's no hope in that. There's no joy in that. It's hopeless. No. No, no, no. That's so sad. Listen, we rest in the grace of Jesus Christ, knowing that the Spirit is doing a work in me. And this is what he says, and I eagerly, we eagerly wait for death. That sounds odd. That sounds unusual. But Paul even said it, for me to, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. I'm gonna do everything I can on this, on this earth for Christ. And upon death, my reward, Christ. So yes, we eagerly await for death. I served in a church in Georgia that was a multi-generational church. And there were several older people I knew of a, of a, a man who, who served God in many different ways. He was a chaplain in Vietnam. He, he had served in many different capacities in ministry. And uh, his wife went to be with the Lord. And, and a few years after that, we were talking with him, and he was just like, I'm ready, but I'm going to keep going. I'm like, how do you? Like, that, that's difficult for someone who, who just kind of started their career or their ministry and just kind of started their family. My daughter's not even two yet, and he's like, I'm ready. Let's, let's go. I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's difficult. But why? Why do we eagerly await death? Because of the hope the hope we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so that hope, that hope we have in the spirit of righteousness that lives within us, that hope is what lets us live free. And so third and final one this morning is love. We have faith, we have hope, and we have love. And love, here's a word that has been so misused so frequently that it's almost lost its meaning. We love everything. And I do. I, I love Sour Patch Kids. Um, take note, parents. I love Sour Patch Kids. Um, I love Reese's. My wife loves, amen, yeah. My wife loves all chocolates. My daughter, I think, loves everything, right? But it's a, but if I love Sour Patch Kids and I say, I also love my wife, you're like, well, 
which is, well, it's different. But, but we, we just use the word so much that, that it kind of loses its meaning. But, but here's the thing. There's one easy way to redeem it back. If it's not of God, it ain't love. If it's not of God, it ain't love. And scripture's clear about this in 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Plain and simple. If it's not of God, it's not love. God is love. If God abides in you and you abide in him, then you know love. So how do I know I love my wife? Because God's love abides in me. And so when I see scripture that he has called me to love my wife in the same way that Christ has loved the church, I know what that love is because God abides in me as a believer. And so we know that. So that's how we redeem this word back. If it's not of God, it's not love. All the stuff we see in media and entertainment, all this stuff. No, if it's not of God, it's not love. And so you see this in verse 6, Galatians 5. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So last point this morning, number three, we love through Christ Jesus. Love through Christ Jesus. Faith in the sufficiency of Christ's grace. Hope in the spirit of righteousness. Love through Christ Jesus. Basically saying your good deeds, the world's good deeds are nothing without Christ. Are nothing without Christ. There is still work for a believer. But works don't save us. Correct. Works do not save us. But if you are saved, your work will reflect the Christ within you. So without Christ, good deeds, good works, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. Someone who doesn't know Christ, all of their good deeds are selfish. I know we don't want to believe that. I know we want to believe the world is good. I know we want to believe that there is something there. But it's all selfish if not for Christ. In Isaiah 6, it says those righteous deeds are as filthy rags. And I won't get into this morning, but, but I will let you research on your own what those filthy rags truly mean. Then you will understand how appalling they are to God. Because it's from us. It's selfish. He's like, it's filthy rags before me. It must be in Christ. So with Christ, with imputed righteousness now, now the Spirit directs us to works of love. So the reality of my faith in Christ is demonstrated in my actions in life. There is still work to be done. We are still working, and our faith drives us to those works. The internal compulsion of love given to us by God flows from my life. 
So it flows from my life, it flows from my actions, my thoughts, my words, my motives, my affections are all now centered on Christ. So in the context of verse five, he's saying, listen, circumcised, uncircumcised, it means nothing. Paul's preaching to to everyone now. He is clarifying, listen, Christ changes the heart, which changes everything, everything. Believers look different. Believers sound different. Believers live different because we do so for the glory of God. So this is Paul's emphasis on his final argument saying, look, look, behold, take note. Christ requires no other work to earn justification outside of his death, burial, and resurrection. Christ's work is complete. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So our good works point to Christ, point to God who made us for that work. You're not trying to earn salvation. No, we already have the spirit. God's like, I have you. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works to show my love on earth. So we have to understand what truly the gospel means. And we have to allow ourselves to live free. If you are saved, know what you are saved from. If you are saved, know what you are saved from. If you've been given grace, know what you've been given grace for. If you've been given mercy, know why Christ has granted you mercy. Do not turn back. Don't turn back into slavery. Don't turn back into the imprisonment of sin. Live free. I I know that sounds like the title of a Bruce Willis movie, but just listen, live free. Free, live free. That's what Paul was saying. Understand you have freedom in Christ. Live free in the faith of the sufficiency of Christ's grace, allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you with the hope of eternal righteousness and loving this world as Christ did. Faith, hope, and love. Those have some meaning to them. Now, now live that out. We, we are called to love this world in such a unique, Christ-like way. Galatians 5, 1 through 6 says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. But through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything 
but only faith working through love.